Welcome to East End Arts Talks with Tom Berdelsky, a creative, adventurous artist who, either accidentally or coincidentally, rediscovered an artistic medium that has its roots as far back as ancient Greece. We'll let him tell that story. But first, Tom, do you ever think about how lucky you are to be a full-time, successful artist? Actually, I was just thinking about that on the way over here. And, uh, yeah, I'm very fortunate. Very, very fortunate. Especially everything that's going on right now people can't feed themselves and here i am making uh paintings and you know it's just it's crazy yeah i think a lot yeah that's great at what point did you realize you could actually make a go of this um well i i was i'm i've always been an artist since a really young age like how how young oh gosh Pre, uh, yeah, I mean, in, in school and uh, what's junior high, I guess, I had some teachers who, um, you know, saw something in me and kind of pushed me in that direction. But um, I didn't really seriously begin studying until I went to the Art Students League and saw what was possible. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> well, what, when you were... At what point did you start to think of yourself as an artist? When you were getting that feedback in junior high, did you start going, oh, I, you know, I could do this, I could be an artist, or I am an artist? Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I just, uh, it's always been a part of me. I've always drawn, I've always painted. Um, and I've, I know that I look at the world differently from other people. Um, in, in what way? Because that's an interesting, that's a real interesting statement. Well, um, you know, I, I, I think I see, um, you know, I see color more. I see composition. I'm constantly looking, um, you know, things are framed in my head when I look through in a space. I'm, I'm constantly, it's reflecting back on my paintings or how would I use, you know, that space in a composition. So I'm, I'm just constantly thinking about my work and it's always been a part of me and I'm always working and there's always a painting in the back of my head that I'm thinking about. Um, so it's just, it's, I've always been an artist. Is that, know? is it exhausting to always be? To, to no, not it's no, no, okay. no. It's, you know, you have a, like I'm working on a painting now. Okay. okay. It's 48 by 60. Wow. Um, and it's grays. Um, and, you know, as I work through it, um, you know, there's a section in it that I'm not, completely happy with so I just leave it alone and I mentally take a picture of it and it sits in the back of my head and you know I dream about it I think about it um, I just know it's back there and eventually you know my subconscious is is working out the problem what's going to be in the next step and when that happens uh, you know it comes to the forefront and I say oh okay the next step is blah 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 or I'm going to do it this way or I'm going to do that so it's like I said it's always a constant evolution so dreaming about it is that do you get inspiration do you get ideas new ideas for work you want to do from your dreams oh well yeah the dream you know and, and, again in this particular instance I have a section in the piece that I'm not completely happy with. So and wait, what is it about that the section you're not happy with, just in general or specifically? 
Um, well, the object of the painting is to make the whole composition work together. And there's one section that's just doesn't, is not working for me. Interesting. So, yeah. You know, so I, I go back and I think about, well, I could approach it this way, or I could approach it that way, or I could do this, or I could do that. So there's a, I have a, you know, a whole arsenal of things that I could do. Um, and it's just pulling out the right tool to, to move forward. And you know, but I guess that's it. And yeah, and then in my dreams, I see it in all these different ways. So, you know, maybe it's right now it has vertical stripes in this one section. So in my dreams, maybe it's horizontal stripes, or maybe it's just I paint over the whole section and I make it a different color, or I change the, the way that the stripes are going. Or so that, you know, I do all that in my head. And eventually when I work out that section, I've got it together and I go and I approach the painting and it happens. It sounds like it must be a lot of fun living in your head. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's lots of stuff going on. That's for sure. Yeah. Is and it that's... fun? Do you still think of art as fun or did it ever lapse into just being work? Um, when I have a commission piece, for example, and I'm working with a difficult client, then it's not so much fun. Huh. But yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. My whole house is just a giant studio. Oh, that's I, fun. That's yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. You know, I was so thinking about um, the creative process and uh, how different mediums require different structures and, and sure. rules. And I think that, you know, if you're writing and you read what you wrote and then you're unhappy with a passage, it's very simple to take it out and put something else in. And I was always wondering with art, how do you... it? Can you go back and edit something? But now you're talking about making this change. How do you how do you do something different if you look at something and you're not happy with part of it? I mean, once you've figured out what it is you want to do. Well, I mean, it first of all, it depends on the medium that you're working with. So I have two studios. One is a painting collage studio where it's strictly paint. And the other one is encaustic which is strictly encaustic. So it's all wax-based stuff that goes on in there. Um, so there's different approaches to it. And, um, you know, you, you just, for me, it's just a, a matter of when the piece is done, I will know it. And it will bring me a sense of calm or, a, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll bring me whatever it is that I'm projecting into the piece. And I'll know when the piece is done. That's spectacular. Because I was I wondering about that too. Sometimes I I don't know if that's inherent in every artist that they go, okay, it's done, or if the tendency is to just keep, well, what about this? What about that? Do you think that's a personality thing? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um I do know that over the years I've become um less stressed about finishing work. So there's a number of pieces that I now take the time to let breathe and be patient with until that that idea comes to the forefront again and tells me this is the direction or this is the path this one should take or do this on this one or that. So there's a half a dozen paintings that are, you know, in various stages of completion uh, in addition to my encaustic work. Can you delve into it? encaustic a little bit. I had never heard of that until I was speaking to Amy Worth, who is 
Um, she's getting into oils now, but she'd been uh, a textile artist. Uh -huh. And she said, oh, I said, is there anything you haven't done yet? And she said, well, I'd really love to do encaustic. And I said, I don't know what that is. And she <laughs> said, well, it has something to do with wax. And I said, is it batik? And she said, no. And then we talked about wax and whether that means you have to hang it in a cold room. Uh -huh. Well, there are temperature constraints. But... That's funny. <laughs> But uh, encaustic is an ancient, ancient medium, goes back to the fourth century. And it was developed by the uh, Greeks and Romans. I think the Greeks maybe did first. And, and it's basically, it's beeswax and uh, resins, different kinds of resins. Um, and you mix them together. And they used it actually to seal um, their wooden ships. Um, so they coated the outside of it and it was more of a um you know a sealer um something to protect the wood um from the ocean um and then it was only later on that they started to add pigments to it and decorate the ships and then eventually it went to um the process went to rome and then it, it became uh they did funeral portraits, uh, which are still actually around today. You can see them in museums all over the world. I know the Met, they've seen a few there. Um, and they're basically uh, portraits that were on the caskets and they're made from encaustic and they're still vibrant and beautiful today, uh, centuries later. So uh, there was a, um, you know, encaustic itself means to burn in. And so you need fire of some kind, you need heat. Um, so that's a real specific requirement. And it um, kind of fell out of fashion once other kinds of paint were discovered and started to be used. Um, and then in the early 20th century, um, artists, you know, rediscovered it. And it was, I want to say, probably the most famous uh, artist who, to use encaustic was Jasper Johns and he kind of brought it back and uh, it became uh, a very kind of in medium to use at the time. And uh, now there's a real big resurgence of it and a lot of people are using it, but uh, it was kind of lost for quite a while. Have you migrated to being primarily an encaustic artist or it's just one of the things you do? Now it's just one of the things I do. Um, and it was a really strange journey to come across it. Uh, I was um, always an abstract. Well, actually, I started out wanting to be an illustrator. And when I was in the Art Students League, I was walking on Madison Avenue. And I happened to just see this blue out of the corner of my eye, this gorgeous blue as I walked past a, a storefront. And it turned out I was walking past Nodler Gallery and the blue was a section of a painting by Robert Motherwell. And if you're not familiar with him, he's a very famous abstract expressionist. And one of his series was called an open series. And it was primarily uh, a single color and then a drawn line that suggested an opening in the space. And this was the one painting that I happened to see. It was very, very large and it covered almost the whole back wall. And I went into the gallery and I sat there until they closed. I just couldn't move away from it. And, and after I left there, I abandoned my illustration and I started to paint abstractly. Wow. 
and uh yeah and that's and that was that and so you know then life comes along and you know you, i got married i had uh, a girl a little girl and uh, we were living in jackson heights and there was really no space to work and i was still trying to work out which direction i was going to go into so i had a tiny little desk in the corner and i was doing these uh, very repetitive drawings with just black ink on white paper, making spaces, undulating spaces. And there was something really interesting about them, but they were lacking. Something was missing. And I just happened to be in the supermarket one day and I looked down and I saw a box of Sabbath candles. And I said, what happens if I take the drawings and I start dipping them in wax? And I did. And I fell in love with it. And I had no idea at all that there was an art form called encaustic at the time oh my god that's so cool so uh, once i found that out i said oh my god this is great and then you know i started to play with them and um i abandoned the abstraction um because it was taking me a very long time to do the drawings and i wanted to really delve into learning about the encaustic process and i started to use photographs that i had taken around Long Island. Uh, and at the time, computers were just coming to the forefront of our world and things like Photoshop were just being invented. And so I delved into those and I learned how to cut and paste and make uh, digital collages. And that was the beginning. I, I'd make these uh, collages and print them out on really good paper and then eventually work on top of the paper with uh, encaustic. So um, I did a few of those and the prints were really interesting. So I started to show the prints around and I went to a gallery and, and they, they said, oh, you know, these are really interesting. Can you make them into paintings? So I said, of course, you know, that was like a, a step back for me. Um, so I made, you know, the dealer said, oh, why don't you make, you know, a few for me and bring them in and we'll see what happens. So um, I made maybe half a dozen, maybe more small things at the time because I was working in this small little space. And um, she saw them and she said, these are really interesting and let me see what I could do with them. So, of course, being really young and naive, I was calling her every day. Cheryl, Cheryl, did you sell anything? <laughs> <laughs> you know, after like a week of this, she said, Tom, don't call me. I'll call you. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, maybe three weeks later, I get a call from her and she says, uh, I got some news for you. And, oh, my God. Oh, what happened? She said, I sold them all. Get a, oh, my God. Get a Tom. studio. She said, get a studio and start working. And that was my big break. That was my break. Wow. So that was uh, the Cheryl Hazen Gallery downtown. She's still there and I still work with her. Now, was that the, was that the moment where you went, oh, my God, I'm going to be able to do this full time? Um, I mean, yes, it was. At the same time, I also was I, I made a brochure and I was sending it up and down the East Coast. And, you know, I, I really had specific ideas about where I wanted to show my work. So, um, you know, I was targeting the East Coast and Chicago and right about the same time that New York jumped on board um, I got a call from a gallery in Chicago 
uh, and I was just about to sign with somebody else, but this woman was so persistent. She just said, you know, your brochure is so beautiful and I love the work and blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, I kept putting her off saying, I'm, you know, I'm not really, I'm sorry. I, I've got a commitment to somebody else, but she was so persistent over weeks. She just kept calling and calling and calling. And finally the catch was, she said, look, if you come to me and let me represent you, I will support you. <gasps> and I, how do you say no to that? Exactly. <laughs> so I said, okay, let's go. <laughs> and, and how old were you then? How, like how far into your wanting to, to do art as a grown up were you? Oh, I was, well, you know, I was probably in my twenties, I guess, late twenties. Wow. Um, yeah. And, uh, I had, uh, you know, so, so I went with her and I'm still with her. Uh, wow. She's my main dealer. Um, that's the Grun Galleries in Chicago. And probably right now she has about 50 works. Wow. Uh, yeah, I keep switching things out with her and, and I'm working on a commission for her right now. Wow. So as a, obviously you're proactive. I'm wondering, like, what other characteristics are important to be a successful artist? Even I'm, aside from, aside from just the raw talent, like you know, I'm you hearing a lot of thick, a lot of thick, go ahead. thick, 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 thick skin, because yeah. you get beat up a lot, and um, you really have to just believe in your work and in yourself. Um, because things happen along the way. I mean, I, again, I've been at this for probably 40 years. And uh, there's been lots of ups and downs in, in, uh, in my career. Every, everything from, you know, a great sale happens where you walk into a gallery and a, and a dealer gives you an envelope full of cash and says, congratulations, that piece sold. Or to somebody trying to rip you off and take your, you know, take your money and your paintings and you never get paid. Wow. So when you have a slow period or when, when it, when things aren't going, how long did it take you to realize like the, you know, the up and down nature of working for yourself, you know, oh. really busy, not busy. Yeah. I, I don't know if I still have figured that out. Oh, do you still have that panic of like, yeah. Oh my God, I'll never oh, well, make another dollar. Well, especially with this climate right now. So, yeah, you know, yeah. it's just, uh, I'm very, very for fortunate that I have a few galleries that are still interested in my work and that help me along. But uh, it's been a tough couple of years. That's for sure. Now, I know you do you do a lot of teaching, Tom, now, or just a little bit of teaching? I know you're going to be teaching in caustic at East End Arts. Yes, I am. And I've done this uh, oh, maybe three years now uh, for East End. And I also work with another uh, space uh, in Setauket. Um, yeah. You know, I do, I do teach, uh, you know, Ideally, I would love to get like a core group of students who are really interested in the medium to just explore it and go dive in and, and, you know, so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to build up a kind of a encaustic art <laughs> Long Island thing. So, yeah. You know. Now, when, when someone is going to take an encaustic class, mm -hmm. are they, t are you basically focusing on technique or is it more uh, expansive? I mean, do you talk about 
composition and and the different choices that people can make and and what are the rules and what are the things that are left to the artist yeah i mean acoustic is a really uh wonderful medium i, I love it or i wouldn't be working with it for so many years but there are certain challenges um you know, the heat is one thing. A lot of people aren't comfortable with working with heat. But in my classes, I try to approach it where 90% of the people have never heard the word encaustic and don't know anything about it at all. So I've come up with a way that they can do um, collages. I call them encaustic collages. And basically, it's just they're dipping the paper in wax and they're applying it onto a rigid surface. And they build up layers like that and they can play with compositions. And the beauty of it is that the pieces can be removed with a little heat and reconfigured however they want. So that's kind of the first step that I, how to introduce the medium to people. This is a way that you can work with it and it's very direct and no holes barred. Then the next thing is I introduce them to a kind of a down and dirty um, how to make encaustic paint. And I use a, a, a very quick and easy solution, again, just because a lot of people don't really understand how paint is made, and they may not want to get into that whole thing. So I just use oil paint and on a heated surface with the wax, and we mix it up, and I show them how to make a quick painting. So, and then if there's professionals who are really interested in the medium itself, I'll show them exactly how to make using pigments and using the right resins and the right, you know, mediums and things to, uh, to make the paint. And, and that's it. So there's a whole range of different ways to approach it. Um, I try to make it as simple and as fun as possible um, so that if people are really interested, you know, they can... And I, and I can tell them how to set up a studio and things like that. There are certain requirements you need to work with this medium. You need a, you know, an open, airy space. Um, the fumes from the burning wax, if it does burn, can be toxic. So you need to have ventilation. Um, and then people who are, really want to work in learning how to make the paint, of course, you need to have masks and gloves and things like that. So the pigments are, are not, yeah. you know, so... At least we're all used to wearing masks now, sort of. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me, take me through your process of um, before you begin a painting Mm -hmm. or, you know, a work, Mm -hmm. uh, how much, how much do you know ahead of time going into it? Do you have an idea of what you want or do you ever just, you know, take out a blank canvas, a blank surface and get to work? Well, it depends. I mean, um, I think that's why I do so many different things because there's so many different approaches to them. Um, the encaustic- Does the medium determine the, the approach? Oh, yes. yes oh, okay. Yeah. The encaustic, you really need to, well, for me, you know, I've developed this way of working over the years where the encaustic is on these prints that I made. So the first step for me has always been you have a camera, you go out, you photograph. You bring those photographs into some kind of program, whatever program you're comfortable with. And then I make these spaces that do not exist. So wait, you got to explain that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the digital um, way of I'll take a tree from a certain space and I'll take a, 
a field from another place and another tree from a different place. And I'll mix them uh-huh. all up and I'll put them into one composition. And what I'm trying to do in there is to make a landscape where the viewer can just go into the space and be extremely calm and, and just dream. Wow. You know, that's kind of making my brain tingle. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, if you look at any of my encaustic work on the uh, website, on my website, you can, uh, you see how that, that works. So that's the first step is in an encaustic work. And once I've got that composition that I'm happy with, then I approach it again. This is all digital. I haven't touched a paintbrush yet. This is all just the prep. Um, and then I'll determine the colors and if it's going to be black and white and the size and things like that. And then I'll also have to, in an acoustic work, I'll have to make the panels that the pieces are going to go on. So I'll make the panels and then I'll print out the print and the, it gets done with all archival inks and archival paper. And then I may mount the print onto the panel. And then the final step is applying the encaustic. So it's very process-based work. And how, how long a stretch of time does all this take? Oh, it, it depends. I mean, I'm working on a commission I've been working on now for about two and a half weeks. Oh, okay. And I figure it's going to take another two and a half weeks to finish. And then a crate. Is that because of the size of it or just all, the, all of the steps that are involved in putting it together? Well... I mean, I think I take more time and I'm much slower on a commission work because I know that there's somebody on the other end who is saying, you know, I want this to be a certain way and that's what I'm paying for rather than a piece that just I know is going to go into a gallery might be done quicker or it, it's, it depends on the piece and the size, it depends on a lot of things. And just when you're applying the uh, encaustic onto the print, you really have to be in a certain space. So, you, right. you know, your brain is not always there. So you need to like pay attention to that. And Yeah. How do you, um, do you ever ha- have dry spells or do you ever have a point where you can't come up with something? Well, um, like a creative block. You know, I just, I, I turned to something else. Um, I, you know, I had a really horrible tragedy. Uh, my wife was, uh, had cancer for nine years and she passed away four years ago. And coming out of that, um, my grief was so strong that uh, I had to try to figure out a way to, to work through it. And of course I turned back to my art, which saved me really. And, um, and I started to experiment. So I started to do really small little collages and those collages led me back into painting again. And my painting is so much different than my encaustic work because there's no process. There's the exact opposite of it. It's a blank canvas and I go in with no thought at all and I let the paint tell me what it wants to do. That's so that's fascinating that there are so distinctly different approaches yeah. depending on the medium. Yeah. Have you is there a medium that you haven't yet delved into that you're curious about or that's like waiting in the wings for you? Not really. You know, I mean I've uh I've tried just about everything I can think of. 
watercolors aren't strong enough for you, right? Uh, I started out doing watercolors uh, in illustration. Yeah, I was doing these little book covers, um, you know, comic books, things like that. When I oh, cute, all the <laughs> yeah. So, and uh, and that's it. And how much when you're doing the encaustic is the the whole first half of preparing for the for the project or the halfway through is that all on the computer um well it's a com you know it's a combination of different things you need the panel so that has right you know i i spend uh maybe a month in the summer uh out on my deck cutting up wood and you know putting these things together so i know i have x amount of panels that are going to be finished for the winter so i don't have to worry about working outside um so i'll i'll do that and then um you know as far as i you know i don't know halfway point so if there wasn't if, if computers weren't around yet and that wasn't an option you still would be doing encaustic though wouldn't oh you? yeah you would just be drawing yeah sure sure yeah was you know kind of i kind of stumbled on these things you know? well because you know when you told me the story of how you about you know seeing the candles uh -huh. i thought even if encaustic like maybe that's what happened with with the you know ancient greeks that first discovered it right. somebody went well wait a minute wax right you know like like if it wasn't already a medium that existed uh -huh. it's as though you would have created it right yeah that's pretty cool <laughs> you know <laughs> that's sort of like this this thread this commonality like over you know thousands of years yeah yeah it is it is cool and you know i like to push the envelope so i uh and of course now we have millions of different kinds of waxes and oils and things that you can add so i'm constantly playing with that that formula that basic formula uh and adding to it and trying new things and wow that's wonderful. Well, listen, I think the idea that you're bringing a class on how to do encaustics to East End Arts is so remarkable because obviously it's something with a lot of history and is so different than most of what anyone has ever experienced in expressing themselves artistically. Yeah. And the beauty of it also is that it can be, you know, you can do a really flat painting, like a painting. You can use that as paint if you want, or you can make it sculptural. I mean, you can really make, you know, 3D sculptures out of wax and, you know. This wow. <laughs> well, listen, I want to thanks for thank you for your time. And uh, I know you you have a lot of a lot of work that you're constantly doing. So I don't want to take up any more of it. But, you know, thank you. And I'm looking forward to, to seeing more of what you're doing and, and having the class. And it's just Excellent. We're very lucky to have you here. Thanks. Well, thank you too. And I uh, encourage everyone to go to my website, see the work, and sign up for um, my mailing list and come out to East End and enjoy this great class. Tom, did you ever think of having a having like a different last name or something shorter or easier to spell for yeah, the website? Yeah. <laughs> that would help. Tom's right? Art. Tom's <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. All righty. Take care. 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of EEA Talks, engaging and insightful conversations with the artists that are at the heart and soul of East End Arts. Find out more at eastendarts.org, where you can also share, rate, and subscribe to EEA Talks. I'm Cindy Clifford. Thanks for listening.